This is the Behind the Batch podcast with me, Daniel Freeman. And me, James Roberts. Each episode we'll be chatting Oxford United with the names of yesteryear. Whether it be a former player, manager or chairman, our aim will be to listen to their story. Behind the Badge is an unofficial podcast that digs deep into the highs and lows of Oxford United's history. We hope you enjoy it. It's a pleasure to welcome Oxford United former player, coach, youth team manager, bus driver. Have I missed anything, Mike Ford? Well, I listened to um, Mick Moore's podcast the other day and he got really offended. You forgot to mention he was stadium manager. But I'm absolutely fine with those roles. Yeah, no problem. Okay. Thank you for joining us, uh, Fordy. Um, What we normally do is have a bit of a chronological look and have a Go back to where it all started. Uh, my earliest memory of you is seeing a photo of you donning the gloves. I think it was in a three-all draw against Hull City for Oxford United. Uh, 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 do you remember that? Um, I do. It was actually nil-nil. Was it? Okay, I thought you conceded yeah. three goals. So, yeah, so my, my claim to fame is that I kept a clean sheet. So Judgey came off, I was sub. Brian Orton looked at me, I looked at, at Brian, and I just said, I'll go on. I went on, and... I dropped the ball just before our time from a cross. And I remember the crowd like were cheering me. I was waving to the crowd and I'd come in and Steve Foster gave me an almighty bollocking about just catching the ball, stop waving to the crowd. And then second half, my recollection of it was the fact that um, Billy Whitus went clear down the middle of the pitch and then sort of just fell over. But I've actually seen it recently and he was on the angle and it, it wasn't really a necessarily one-on-one. But... Um, that, that really helped me in my time at Oxford because I think I was a bit of a bit part player at the time due to injury and, and not being able to get back in a team to have some good players. And it, it just sort of, I don't know, galvanised me, made the crowd like me a little bit more than previously. And um, yeah, kept a clean sheet, put the gloves on. And um, yeah, that was it was sort of not the making of me, but it really helped with my, my journey at the club. Aldi, it seemed like you'd been a little bit of a... Uh... A favourite. I don't know if that's true at, at Cardiff before you joined United, and um, and then you went back there as well. You became very popular over your time. How long do you think then it took you to become that sort of uh, that fans' favourite player? Well, I signed. I signed for for Mark Lawrenson, and um, I infamously got injured whilst on honeymoon. Although I'm pretty sure I had the injury before I went, but it's a better story saying. I jumped off a wardrobe and injured my back on honeymoon. It's a far better story than actually the one that's probably the right one. I didn't play until January. I remember making my, my debut off the bench at Sunderland and I was miles off in fitness-wise. I think we lost 3-0. And I was I played a bit that season. So that's season one gone. And then I think I had an Achilles injury in season two. And it was really season three that, that I had to get to grips with being in the team. And I come back really fit and I won player of the year that year and got a new contract. And I think most supporters, Cardiff and Oxford, would say that I was was maybe a fan's favourite. That'll be for them to decide. But I just had a go, and I, I tried my best every week. And I knew I was inferior to other players on the pitch. But I also think they valued me in the team, so I would have a go, and I, I would be desperately keen to win. I'd do everything I could, um, and then I got the armbands, and I was in for five years so with the first two years I was bedding myself in not intentionally doing it that way but that's how it felt and then the next eight years were, were fantastic you know we had a 
a relegation and a promotion and, and then eventually left in, in, eight, in 98. So I had a fantastic 10 years. Um, brilliant time, great club, special set of supporters. Um, and, and the Manor Ground is a brilliant place to play football. Yeah, you mentioned there that you were signed by Mark Lawrence and one of the biggest names in British football at, at that time, but obviously never actually played for him. Was that sort of a regret that you, sort of as a as a defender, never sort of got to sort of work directly with him? I've never I've never really thought of it like that. I was just thankful that I mean I think what happened was, if I'm honest, Brian Horton was at Hull in the previous year and probably wanted to take me there. And then when he got the assistance job with Mark. I think he just said, look, there's a kid at Cardiff, really like him. I think he really did for us. And I think Mark was based on, on, on Brian giving him the heads up. And it was disappointing not to play under him, but obviously, again, it, it was part of the club at the time where Dean Saunders goes to Derby, Mark doesn't know, Mark resigns, Brian takes over. And it was just, you know, it was like story after story, um, as it was for pretty much the 10 years I was there. So yeah, it was, it was, it was, Disappointing. I think if you asked Mark whether if he was disappointed he didn't get the chance to work with me, it might be a slightly different story. But um, but there you go. Long time ago, it it's come up on a few podcasts that we've done, Mike. The the early nineties, and of course the the day at Tranmere and um, and dear old Joey's uh, performance that day in 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 that match. You know, with his goals. Keeping the club in the in the in the old first division at the time, um, you know, I know that you were you were particularly close with Joey. You played with him for for a long time, and um, you know would have been you know, friends with him off the pitch as well. Um, what 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 can what can you tell us of that? What, what was the what were your favourite memories of Joey at that time? Jo- Joey, I'm, I mean, crikey, um, I've just got a few tingles down my neck. Actually, just just thinking about Joey and. It's long we spent together as a player. Um, I, I, I've said this before somewhere that I was a bit envious of Joey. I didn't have anywhere near his ability. So if we'd have probably merged the both of us together, we'd have had an England international. So my, my sort of get up and go and my enthusiasm, you know, my will to win. If I, if I'd have had Joey's ability with his pace playing off both sides, both sides of the pitch, going past people for fun, scoring goals out of nothing, being a match winner, we probably would have had, you know, a player that, that was worth millions and playing for England on multiple times. Um, he just wanted to play football. He wanted to be loved. He just wanted to be happy, safe, secure. He wanted to come into a dressing room where he was liked. He wanted to, to run out for another set of supporters that loved him. And he just wanted to, to do the very best he could. I mean, there were times where you know, by his own admission, he went missing in games. But you knew the next week he'd probably go and turn it on and score the winning goal in the last minute. So, you know, you, you put up with those those Mavericks in the team. Joe was a lovely kid, lovely kid. I think at the time, the dressing room environment was very much doggy dogging. We probably didn't show enough empathy towards him. Uh, and I definitely look back now, and if I was if I was captaining Joey at my age now, you know, I'd have, without doubt, had him with me and everything I could to keep on a straight and narrow. In those days, you know, we, we, we looked after ourselves pretty much. Um, most of the lads that played that time in that era would, would agree. Um, I think the modern day, Joey would have been well looked after, but it's such a shame, such a lovely kid. And, you know, for him to take his own life at such an early age, 
is tragic. But I'm glad I spent the time I did with him because brilliant footballer, lovely kid, and salt the earth. I'm glad we touched on it there, there, Mike. I mean, it was it was obviously a, a, you, you, yourself, Jim McGilton, Mickey Lewis, John Durning, you know, players in the in your pomp, really having the the best time of your life at a club at that time of your life where you could do what you wanted to, really have some uh, pretty hairy nights out. I bet. No, no, not that. <laughs> so I would agree that the um, in the politics we got we definitely couldn't um, if social media was around in our day. Um, I'm sure we, we'd have adapted. And I will say that we only got up to those antics at the right times. There was probably only one occasion in my 10 years at the club where I thought, crikey, we, we got away with that. We did something at the wrong time. Um, but we, we, we worked hard. We did our damnedest to be the fittest we could. You know, we ran ourselves into the ground. We got as fit as we could. And and we, we cared about what we were doing. Um, the one time was we, we were playing away at Newcastle, rearranged game on a Thursday night. The original fixture was abandoned at half time. So we, we drove up there overnight. I think Mossy and Brian went to put the kit out. And Mossy came back and I said, what's the pitch like? He said, oh, it could do with a bit of rain. The heavens opened and the thing got abandoned at half time. I think we were losing well near. We then had to go back for the rearranged game on a Thursday night in James's Park. And Newcastle had just won the title. So we we clapped them onto the pitch. Uh we, we played really well, lost two one, really tight encounter, and we stayed up overnight. And on the following Saturday, two days later, was the final game of the season away at Watford. Well, we stayed up in the hotel and tried to be trained on the Friday morning. I couldn't do my legs. And um, I think a few of the boys were in a similar situation. And the coach trip back was the longest coach trip I've ever had. Sleep Friday night, get up Saturday morning, and it's like, Christ, we've got to go to Vickers Road now. And we go there and we win 1-0. And, yeah, we, we matched the wall maybe at times, defended brilliantly, Won the game, coming into the room afterwards, and I remember Mom actually going. He went. He pointed to four of us, four or five of us, and went, "You, you, 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 you are the luckiest people on the planet because if we'd have lost today, you lot would get." And I think, I think I might have said, "Yeah, but we won Mossy, and everything was all right." That was one time I remember where we we the others might speak differently, but I can remember in ten years of not maybe drinking at the right time. We got away with it. We, the lads in those days, honest as the day is long, and we cared about the football club. We wanted to win games for the football club. We wanted to win games for the supporters, the people in around what we had there. We had a real genuine connection with everybody. Um, and it was a fantastic time. Yeah, we, as, as you mentioned, uh, we had Mick Moore on the pod a, a couple of weeks ago who had some absolutely unbelievable stories to tell. Um, he, uh, he did ask me to uh, mention if you could remember being uh, locked in a, I think it was a cupboard at the Manogram while you were doing a, a live TV interview before a game. Please tell me you do remember that because I'd love to hear the story. Well, the, so the steps that went down to the tunnel to go out, I think there was like a cubby hole there or something. I think that, I honestly can't remember it. If Mick says it happened, it happens because mm-hmm. it was in the middle of most things. But um, I can't remember it happening, fortunately. 
I'm just trying to work out how I, en- how I ended up in a cupboard doing an interview, but probably ended up in a lot of places where I shouldn't have been ended up in, but that's a, you know, a, for another day. But um, I did listen to Mick's podcast. I thought it was hilarious. Um, it, it brought back some fantastic memories. The two that, that resonated were the, the Oxford Mail, the day after we'd been out for a Christmas party looking for Robin Hood's Superman and Batman. I do remember it like it was yesterday. It was one of the funniest things I've ever read. Um, and then, then Mick, I think it was Bobby McDonald getting a lift back from the police. Do you know where Mick Moore lives? Yes, we do. I thought that just about summed it up. The police knew where the, the stadium manager, not groundsman, the stadium manager lived. I thought it was just absolutely brilliant. So, yeah, he threw a few under the bus, but hey-ho, life's too short. It says a lot, though, like you say, doesn't it? You know, to have that um, relationship and I imagine over time, so that makes it sound like players would come in and generally would fit in, which I, I imagine you might tell me is wrong, doesn't always happen in dressing rooms? Um, again, like, I can't remember many players coming in that you thought, oh, not sure about him. I mean, when Stuart Massey first came in, I was like, who is this? Who, who is this? So effectively, we signed him from Crystal Palace Reserves. And he came in like he was the world superstar. But it was Stuart. Stuart was one of, is, is one of the funniest people I have ever met. We, we couldn't, we couldn't work him out. We, initially it was like not having him at all, not having him. And then you're like, he's all right, him. And then it was like, if you go out, I want to be with Stuart. I've got to sit next to Stuart because I'm with Stuart. It's going to be fun. It's going to be a laugh. It's going to be a joke. Um, it took a bit of time getting to it, but we got there in the end. And one of the funniest people I've ever met. So we, yeah, we, so Nigel Jemson came in. I, I think Jemo, again, Jemo knew his worth. He knew he could score goals. He was a bit of a Charlie. He'll admit it himself. But we, we got on great with him because we just kept him, you know, we didn't allow him to become bigger than the dressing room. We didn't allow him, you know, to read his own headlines. He just became one of the lads and he scored 20 odd goals in his first season with us. And I think without us getting hold of him, saying, sort yourself out, come on, you're one of the team. It's not having any, you know, you're not a glory hunter. Let's be part of a group of people we got here all trying to pull in the same direction. He maybe wouldn't have got those goals. But I, I honestly can't remember anyone that, we we sort of binned as a group of lads, weren't having them at all. I, I can't remember it. It's just the way the club was. And, you know, I think fair play to some of the managers who brought in the right characters because you're the best player in the world. But if, you're not, if you don't fit in something, you may as well go and play somebody else somewhere else. Forty, obviously you were part of the team that, that, that did get relegated, part of the team that went up as well two seasons later. Um I heard Paul Moody say that he just went home to Southampton or Portsmouth or wherever it was and had a takeaway the night that we got promoted against Peterborough. I'm hoping that you might be able to tell us something a bit more exciting. Well, Moods, yeah, that's, that's Moods. Under the radar, mild-mannered, gets himself to himself. Um, righty. So I, oh, it was the other game, wasn't it? So, yeah, it, we, we, we had a weekend party. I mean, it starts off in a dressing room and then it goes onto the pitch and it goes into the clubhouse. And then we probably ended up 
in St. Clement's and we ended up somewhere in, in Oxford and then we all wake up and start again on a Sunday. Um, yeah, it, 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 I honestly can't remember the, the, you know, the, the, maybe the bits that you're looking for me to remember, but it just, it felt like it was a togetherness that we all went out, supporters, everybody just went out, you know, like, like the whole stadium went out together. Uh, I'm not sure there's a van, venue big enough in Oxford to, to accommodate all of us, but that's how it felt. I mean, if I go back to the Tranmere game, that was the last game of the season, we, we left the club lunchtime-ish, but we'd been up the road to the Mediterranean fish bar and we'd all had full English breakfast, plate full of food. Get on the coast. Remember Jim and Jill going, this is it, boys. This is the start of it. This is it. Stay overnight, win the game, champagne in the dressing room. And then we, I was due to go home. I didn't get home that Saturday night. Um, I was due to go back to get home Sunday afternoon, didn't come home. I was due to go home Sunday night, didn't get home. I was due to go back Monday afternoon, didn't go back. I eventually got back home on Monday night, absolutely hanging from whatever I was hanging from. I'd been away for three days. Um, but fortunately, I wasn't the only one. It was, you know, with a group of people doing the stuff, you know, just, just, oh, it was such a relief to stay up. It was actually, it was a big party than going up. So, so to stay up in the championship was what an effort. Into the championship was what an effort. But it, it lacks a little bit of, you know, we could have finished in the playoffs. So we still would have had a chance. If we'd have lost it, Tranmere, we were relegated. So there was a bit more of a cutting edge, a bit more of a black and white feel to it, which is why I think that, that single event, was probably a bigger one than the going up. The first season back in the championship, and correct me if I'm wrong, there seemed to be a celebration born, and it's been on the back of programmes, or the front of programmes, shall I say. I seem to recall you sat on the back of, at one stage, I think it was Joey, maybe. Well, then there was also Stuart Massey and Martin Aldridge. Correct me if I'm wrong with any of those combinations, but but tell us about that. I remember a goal that you scored. I think it was against Portsmouth early in that first season back. Well, I think it was Martin Aldridge that I found. So so Martin had gone in for. A, I think it felt like a tackle with a goalie, but the tackles ended up with a ball in the net. So Martin was actually injured, but in in that sort of kneeled position, and I just sat on his back, put my arms in the air. Um, <laughs> I can't remember who it was against, but I just I think it was Swindon. Sorry, it was Swindon as well, wasn't it? Was it Swindon? Okay, well maybe that was part of the reason as well then. Um, and I do remember one where I think Kevin Francis had scored, and I jumped on Joey's back because Kev is, you know, he's crikey, what is he, six foot, whatever, ten. Had to jump on Joey's back, so I jumped on Joey's back and shook hands with 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 Pevin. Um, but yeah, so I don't know what game that was. Well, I think that must have been Mark, when Malcolm Shot was there. It must have been it was really late, late in my days at the club, playing wise. Um, but yeah, you you know you do daft things when when you're elated, emotional. Um, so so yeah, I, I do remember those two. Yeah, you mentioned um managers and, and actually you're talking about Mike at time um, just after promotion in 96 that was towards the end of Dennis Smith's time I saw somewhere that Dennis Smith was quoted as saying you were one of the best leaders that he ever worked with in his career 
what did you think of him as the manager? And he was he sort of the pick for you in your time at United? Well, I thought Dennis was brilliant. So an example of Dennis was we go to South End, we lose 6-0. And, and I think this was quite early in his tenure. So it was probably the season we got relegated. And he came in and we didn't really know Dennis. We knew, we knew of his reputation as a player. Um, tough, you know, uncompromising. So we're thinking, or I'm thinking, we're getting it. And he came in and he just went, can't do anything about it right now, lads. Go and have a drink. See you Monday. So that made it even worse because you're worrying all weekend about what he's going to say Monday morning. So you come in, we'll get in early. Anyone seen the gaffer? Has anyone spoke to him? No, no, he's in his room. Anyway, so he comes in. He just went, he went through all of us individually. One line. He said to me, he went, don't be last out. You're the skipper. Be up with the rest of the back four. Okay, Dennis. Okay, Gaffer. Okay, Gaffer. And he said the same. He said something to everybody. Our next game was the following night at Knott's Forest with Stan Collymore. We're like, Jesus Christ, we just lost 6-0 to a pretty average South End team. We're now going to the city ground. Good luck, everyone. We get there, Dennis comes in and he goes, good news, boys, Collymore's injured. They're best player. You can get a result tonight. We drew 0-0. No, I, I genu- well, clearly, Dennis had a massive impact on the way we approached the game. We were more confident than we should have been because we didn't get that bollocking that we all expected. Um, that was one example of, of Dennis being thoughtful. You know, he, he didn't lose it much, to be honest. Um, you know, lads, Crosser was great. Such a, a foil fan. Crosser was smiles, enthusiasm. You know, it was everything we needed in training. Training was fun. When the, when Dennis turned up, it was like, oh, God, what was here? Oh, my God. All right, lads, we have to be serious for the next 20 minutes. And then when he left, we could go back to being having fun again. But he called me in. So we got, so Jim and Jill was a skipper. Jim went to Southampton. And it was like, I was desperate to be captain. I was honestly desperate. I thought Matt Elliott was going to be given the captaincy because Matt, he was Matt, he was on, he was, his nickname was the Big Cheese and he, he was the Big Cheese. And Dennis pulled me in before a game and he just went Saturday afternoon, he went, going to make you captain. Honestly, I was like, okay. He said, just do one thing for me. I said, go on, he said, Sometimes you don't have to get on at the players. You can just leave them alone. Okay, Dennis. I was captain for five years. And just that, again, just that one line that he said to me made me understand that not everybody was able to cope with having a finger wagging from me. We're all different. So Dennis didn't say much. And if you listen to what he said, when he did speak, you could gain loads of knowledge. And he showed me, he showed me, um, massive confidence. So I was at the point where he got a really good group and he, he pretty much let us get on with it because he knew he had good people in his dressing room. So he was brilliant for me. Um, we had a reunion about four or five years ago. It was great to see him. He's in good spirits again. And, um, he did talk about how we came into a dressing room sometimes and he would, when he did have a pop, he would have a pop at me. And at the time, I'm like, 
done all right. Why is he having a, why is he having a dig at me? And he, and he said, he said, I got on at you because I knew you would just rush it off and get on with it and try and prove me wrong. And he said, if you could do that, then I'm asking everyone else to do it. And I went, great, Dennis. I said, but if you could have told me that 25 years ago, it would have really helped. But um, I had a really good relationship with Dennis and, you know, fantastic fella, as well as being a really, really good football manager. Just wanted to skip ahead uh, to the first time you left the club, Um, obviously 1998, 10 years. uh, You'd been there by then and, and like you say, five as captain. When you did go, obviously, uh, you know, it hadn't time on the pitch. It wasn't necessarily slipping in terms of results, but off the pitch, things necessarily weren't going too well. Was it kind of a shock uh, when you left? Well, um, so I think, I think Dennis, Dennis had left in, I'd be right saying Malcolm Shaw took over. Yeah. That'd be right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Okay, so I think it was about January, February. And um, at the time, he was exactly the right person to come in because I think Dennis had done his time with us and it needed a different way of handling the players. And Malcolm was a complete opposite of Dennis. You know, even if you did well, he'd get stuck into you. But I think the lads needed that. And the the results improved and he kept the team up. So full credit to that. Um, but... I mean, I've been in the club 10 years and you don't, you know, I never wanted to be treated any differently to how everyone else was. And I, I didn't need to be, I didn't want to be. But when you've been at a club 10 years in five and your time's running out, it would have been nice. So last game of the season, I went at Middlesbrough, we took a squad of, I don't know, 17, 18. I think it might have been three subs at the time. And I ended up in their hospitality suite at past two having a couple of drinks watching a game and he didn't even speak to me. So he'd taken me away on the last game of the season and he could have just said, look, Mike, I want you to be with the group, but you're not going to be involved. I'll have a chat to you next week um, about your future. He didn't even speak to me and that was really disappointing. Um, so I had a lot of respect for Malcolm. Like I said, he did a fantastic job in those initial three or four months. People can judge him after that. That's not for me to judge because I did work with him but out of just somebody just being a human being, he could have had a chat with me to explain my situation. I knew I was going to leave. Nobody's spoken to me, but it was pretty obvious. Um, and I'd done my time as well. Ten years is a long time. I'd done my time. My, my, you know, my, my, I wasn't quite as I was never quick, but I was 33. So playing in the championship, you've got to be, you know, a very, very good footballer to be playing at that level at 33. It was just, it was just felt disappointing that. It was almost, I don't know, it was almost like the intention was for me to drift away and then go and sign for somebody else, um, which virtually is that will happen. We had, we, had a, we had a week's holiday in um, Cyprus in Ayanapa. Again, um, I ended up in hospital one night, got a bit drunk, bit me here across the TV. You know, you had those big, those massive box TVs. There was metal stands coming out. I just clipped the end of one of them and ended up, lost a lot of blood, ended up in hospital. And then um, got out of hospital that day and went and had a drink with the lads to make sure they were okay. So, um, but yeah, that, that was, you know, things happen in life. You know, Malcolm might tell that very differently. That's how I saw it. That was my take on it. Um, 
but it, it didn't harm any of the 10 years I had. It was an amazing time. I felt so lucky to be playing at the level, to be playing with international footballers, to have the experiences I had. Um, and it's something that um, when I'm working with young footballers, I'm, you know, if they're not giving everything, they could have a career like I had just by having a go. Sometimes they think it's beneath them to have a go, to run around, run, run up and down a pitch. Um, so that, be, that can be frustrating. But um, yeah, that, that was, I think that was the end of my time. The team stayed up and quickly got itself. And I think when I returned in 2000 as youth team coach, I think the team was already in what is now Division One and were really, really struggling. You know, the squad that Dennis put together was nowhere near good enough. Forty, you returned in, in 2000 as youth team coach, like you said. In the meantime, I seem to recall a, uh, a testimonial against a Manchester United 11. Um, may have been the last ever game played at the Manor, or, or certainly it seemed like that way, certainly right at the end of the Manor. Um, there were some there were some there were some decent players in that Manchester United eleven as well, from what I remember. Yeah, so I, I'd been gone two years. Um, a fella called called Richard Rosser, who who's an Oxford based fella, um, sort of really helped me get the the testimony up and running. Steve McLaren was in Man United, and it all just came together. And I had six and a half thousand people at the grounds. For that that occasion, obviously, Man United is a massive call, and I think Darren Fletcher played. There were some good players that went on to have really good careers that played that night, and um, I had a few of my old boys back and some some lads from the current team, and it was just a great experience. It was um, I felt it, I felt honoured. I'm not sure that's that's a word I totally totally understand, but that's that's how I felt that. Little old me spends 10 years at a football club when sometimes I thought, how am I playing at this level? Um, to then be given a testimonial, firstly, to then get 6,500 people to turn up, and then to get pulled onto the pitch and pulled off the pitch, to have the reception we had at a hotel. And then we had a dinner. We had a dinner as well. I think Timmy Mallet turned up. We had a people, we had people donating. I just felt, okay, how have I ended up getting all this recognition? I don't get it. I just ran around a football pitch. I just tried my best every week. Um, and that's all I ever really did. And then for me to get that was, um, was special, was, was really, really special. But if we talk about the last game at the Manor, so I can't remember when it was specifically, but I managed the team in the last ever game at the Manor. Against Port Vale. Yes. So I think, who, who got the sack, was it? Kemp. Who? I was, I was going to mention that, but not really, because that must have been interesting, being an employer of the club as opposed to a player when all that shenanigans was going on. It just said the last two games and the last game was a midweek game against Port Vale when Brian Horton was the manager but didn't turn up that night Martin Foyle was his coach and we drew the game one all and again I'm like how have I managed to manage the team in the last ever game at the Manor Ground so as a quiz question 
who managed, I mean, no one's going to say me at all. If I wouldn't even say me, I'd say it was somebody else. But that's, that again, that, that's just, I don't know how I ended up doing that. But I feel really privileged and honoured that I was able to manage that team in the last ever game at the Manor Ground. Um, yeah, Kemp, David Kemp came in with Joe Kinnear and I think it was Alan McCleary and it was just, it was a bit, how can I put it, a lot of the lads struggled to cope with, cope with David Kemp. Um, I found him all right, honest, straight, just said it as it was. I think a lot of lads struggled with that. Um, it was a very distinct way of playing. So training session com- comprised, compromised of, or comprised of, if you played the ball backwards, the next ball had to go forwards. I know what they were trying to do. They wanted to play on the front foot, don't play negative passes, get the ball into areas that are going to hurt the opposition. I think some of the lads really struggled with that. Um, and and obviously, they ended up leaving. Um, I did the two games. And then I did say the second game was away at Notts County. We lost, I think we lost 2-1 to the lead. I think Rob Folland might have scored it. And I did in the interview afterwards and said, yeah, I'd like the job. Looking back, I was nowhere near ready for it. I really wasn't. So, and Mark Wright got the job. Um, and I became, I went back to being a new team coach um, and in support of him and um, Edmund Men. So, it was a very, very difficult time because there was no stability. So the man at the top had no interest in the football club, Phil's Kazam, zero interest in the football club. He was interested in the stadium and making money. So investment was was nil. Um, we went through a number of managers. So again, no stability. Um, and it took, crikey, the club ended up in non-league football. I mean, how does Oxford United end up in non-league football? Um and there's only one person at fault for that, it's Firoz Kassam. You know, clearly it's his tenure and he took the team from the championship into non-league football. Um, and then obviously Chris Wilder comes in, turns it around. I met Chris a few times. I can see why he turned it around. Straight, honest. Do it this way. If you don't do it this way, you're out. Um, picked him up by the bootstraps. Great job. And then the teams ended up back in Division 1. A stadium which probably most supporters would see as got no real affinity to it. The Manor Ground was totally different. I think it had seven or eight stadiums, uh, sorry, seven or eight stands. You know, a real unique place to play is football. You know, the Sam, I don't get ever often these days, feels a bit soulless, a bit empty. Feels like the club's ready to move. Um, but it's changed massively, crikey, from 1988 to 2022. Um, a lot of change, some of it for the best and some of it not so. That is all in that side. Just um, just to sort of talk about your time in youth team sort of charge 40, because, you know, when you were around, Dean Whitehead came through, Sam Ricketts, Chris Hackett, that's to name just three players that have gone on to some fantastic professional careers near and at the top of the English game. Uh, that must um, make you feel very proud when you look back at that particular time. Les Taylor and his coaching staff at the under 16, 15, 14, 13 level have done all the work. I just took them on. I just had to fine-tune them. And I remember I remember we went for a, a, a pre-season friendly, the Oxford United v. Barry United. And I, I remember speaking to the lads after the game. So there was Dean, there was Sam Ricketts, 
there was Tommy King, there was Chrissy Pitt, and there was Jamie Brooks. And I just said to them, have a career. And a career is not 30 games. A career is 15 years. I was lucky enough to have 18. Have a career. So some 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 players think 30 games is a career. I used to be a footballer where you weren't. You just had the little knockings of football. You weren't a, a professional footballer. But, and they did. They went on to have fantastic careers. Um, such a shame about Jamie Brooks. You know, he was just about to go to Arsenal. Literally, it had all been done. Then he, he, he fell foul to a, you know, a major, major illness, um, which, which knocked his, his career, you know, knocked it into a position where he was never going to probably fully recover from. But, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to claim, claim a little bit of credit for those lads, but Les Taylor and, and the coaching staff in the youth centre there should, should, should have most of it. They had, had them for a long time. I had them for 12 months. And Mike, you left for a second time. Um, then I think in 2003, obviously you mentioned how difficult it was working, um, at the club at that point as a member of the staff. It, it felt like, at least from the sort of fan reaction and, and the way it kind of was announced, I think, it, I think the words were used were quotes of fresh balance in the coaching staff was required, which is always raises questions over, over what the real reason is. But it felt like it, it wasn't really the satisfactory end to your, Oxford United career um, overall? Um, so if I if I can just go back and touch. So when Dennis came back the second time, I was Uton coach. Little stories. He, he came in He came in one from training. I think it was a Monday morning or something. And he said, Paul, get in here. And I'm thinking, Jesus Christ, I've been out of training. What, what have I, you know? He said, you're playing Saturday. I went, sorry? He said, you're playing Saturday. So I'd, I'd not played a game of football for four or five months. Probably put on about half a stone. I said, well, what are you on about? I thought, what, what, he said, the left back's hopeless. You have to play for me Saturday. So I said, try playing the reserve Tuesday night, Portsmouth. He said, play an hour, we'll get you off. We'll play the whole game, didn't I? Right, okay. And then we played Bristol City at home on the, um, on the Saturday. And I'm playing left back against a fella called, I remember his name being Murray Quick. Scott Murray. Never, yeah, pace was never my thing. We lose game one nil. I'll ask you right. I thought, Christ, you know, <laughs> got through it. And then the crowd ran to go at Dennis, and Dennis walked down. He's, you know, Dennis is brave, and he walked down, and they had a con- con- uh, conversation. And then Dennis got the sack. And then the next game was away at Swindon on the Sunday in the local derby, and I took the team. So one week on time to play and the next week on caretaker manager again and like Dave Sam Ricketts is David so that, that was one story about that probably sums the club up um, but then yeah so I I was youth team coach and then I became you know part of the job was always reserve team and, and then I became sort of a temporary assistant became an acting school time assistant um, you know I, I, Ian you have to respect the fellow because he he's had a lot of success in football. Um, he always wanted his own man in. He never said it to me, but it was very clear that he always wanted his own person in. I did a bloody good job for him because, how can I put this, that he alienated the players at times by some of the things he did. So one story was away at Carlisle. 
and um, it was a, an ex-club of Ian's. We lose one nil. He got stuck into them, and he said, "There's a cancer in the club." And I was exactly what he meant. He was referring to me because he wanted a reason to get me out, and he didn't really have one. So we ended up getting on the coach, and I spoke to Ian, and he said, "They're all in tomorrow." And I said, "Tomorrow." He said, yeah, they're all in at 10 o'clock Sunday morning. Okay. I, I, but I'm not coming back on the coach. I'm staying up. So I get on the coach and my head's going, right, do I tell him now or do I leave? And I thought, I've got to go and tell him. So I go to the back and Andy Crosby, the captain, said, I said, you're right. He said, no, nah, shit today. I said, well, you know, we've done better. I said, anyway, I've got some news. And he went, we're in tomorrow, aren't we? He, I went, yeah. So for an hour and a half, they absolutely panned him and I defended him and I stuck up for him because it was part of my job and I said yeah lads we're all disappointed and they all came in and they were all brilliant the next day they all ran their socks off and they went home and then when we came in on the Monday Ian called me in and went what were they like I said yeah good yeah all, all turned up on time they were good they did it they know why they were in and then he said did they say anything and I went no they didn't. not really they were disappointed in the game but they thought pretty much to themselves. So I defended him when I when I had to and always defended him because I was his assistant. And then Malcolm Crosby phoned me up and said, do you fancy watching a game away at Southampton on a Tuesday afternoon reserve game? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I walked past his office, Ian Atkins, and he came running out. All he, all he said, the chairman wants to speak to you. So, okay, never speak to the chairman. Not my, not my job. Not my position. Manager's job to do that. Walk down the corridor. Walk into the office. Spiros Kassam sat there. His right hand man was sat right in front of me. Ian Atkins sat somewhere over in the corner. Spiros Kassam's right hand man said, "Look, my great work, but we want to move in it. You know, we want to change." I said, "Okay." So, what, what, what am I going to get paid up on month? Then Ian Atkins said, "It's my decision." And uh, we want to go in a different direction. And I'm like, okay, but you could have just spoke to me, Gaffer. You could have just sat down and said, I know football. I know people change the staff. And it was really disappointing. And I felt really hurt by it. But it is football. Um, and then they played away at Torquay. David Oldfield became his assistant. And then they win 3 2. And Ian Atkins is. You can see the difference in the team. The team were much more active today. There was another little dig at me or a justification for letting me go. He didn't need to quit. He's made his decision. Just move on. I left the team in, I think, fourth or fifth spot and they ended up not getting in the playoffs. So, um, obviously, what the team to get to finish in the, the playoff position to give themselves a chance to go up. But it probably was a little bit of, um, I don't know, I saw it as okay, may, maybe people should now realise that that decision should have been a different one. And if I'd have still been at the club, maybe the way I helped Ian, and he didn't know it, he didn't know it at all, maybe the way I helped him, we would have finished in the playoffs. But Dan, football's football. It's a long, 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 long time ago. Um, I had a fantastic time. Three years coaching, ten years playing. Brilliant club wouldn't change a thing for the world uh, and me speaking to you today is off the back of those times Just one last one from me Fordy it's very similar to the way that we, when we spoke to Mick and just so disappointing that such a long time and such an affinity to the club comes to the end in circumstances like that but you're the bigger man for it by the sounds of it 
Um, well, again, I was going to decide that, Dan, but, um, you know, Pricey, we all, we all get older and we all, we all mellow and we, we see situations that probably should be dealt with in a certain way that, that maybe wouldn't have been dealt with in those days. You just want a bit of honesty. You know, I, I, I Steve McLaren said to me once, um, you play a character on the pitch. That's how you play. And as I've said, I, I felt I played in a real honest, hard-working, understood my role, give everything I had for that football club. And that's how I've tried to, to lead my life, trying to be honest, um, trying to be truthful as often as I can. Um, and just somebody saying, look, Mike, in all honesty, you're really good with the lads, but I want somebody I've worked with before who they know me, I know them, I'm going to have to move you on. Not a problem. Make sure you pay me up what I'm, what I'm owed and I'll go off and go somewhere else and do something different. It sort of turned me off full-time football. I've never been back into it since. Um, it, it sort of turned me off because there's such a lack of security. You know, you spend 10 years, got a testimonial, fantastic. I spent three years in the coaching department and get a month payoff. So um, probably curtailed and finished my my aspirations of being a league manager. Um, I'll never know. Maybe some people have never been good enough to do that. Um, I've had a pretty good go at it non-league level. I've had some good success. Still enjoy it. I'm still going sort of strong now. So those times have helped me now maybe forge the career in non-league football that I have. But um, like I said, I, I really appreciate this, this podcast, man. And um, yes, what's a fantastic time I had at that football club. Well, Mike, thanks for your honesty on that and on everything you've spoken about in the last hour or so and, and really appreciate your time today. So thanks again. Thank you for listening to Behind the Badge. Stay across our social media platforms for our next podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at behind the underscore badge or if you want to email us, it's behindthebadge1893 at gmail.com.